podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 31st of March, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. allows you to go online, change your location, access American Netflix, access Now TV from outside the UK, things of that nature. Keeps your data safe online. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN. PN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, that is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, it is Wednesday. It is the 31st of March. And um, we're, we're motoring through this year. That's three months done. April is when the year really gets going. It's when you know, the good weather starts and you start to really enjoy yourself. Lockdowns are scheduled to start being relaxed a little bit in April as well. So hopefully, 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 this is the start of things getting back to somewhat closer to normality. Somewhat closer to normality. Um, just as a quick aside, next week, this is obviously Easter weekend coming up, so... There will be a show tomorrow and Friday. There won't be one on Monday because it's the bank holiday for Easter. Tuesday, there will be a show. It could be late, though, because uh, I got a new dog over the weekend. He is having, um, well, he's having his testicles removed on Tuesday. There's no other way to go around it. Uh, that's what's happening on Tuesday. So I may be a bit late to record and then it may, may be a bit late to, to release. So we, we will try and get it out of four. But if not, that's why. Um, there will obviously then be shows Wednesday. Thursdays will be pre-recorded on probably Wednesday. So I'll probably send out a request for questions on Wednesday to record Thursday's podcast on Wednesday because Thursday is my birthday. So I'm taking that off. And then there will be back Friday. And then the following week, everything will be back to normal. So next week's a bit messy. Just to get that out of the way. Um, right, let's jump into some news. Um, Sam Lee in The Athletic has a story on the Aguero exit from Manchester City. And it, it appears it's a Manchester City decision. It is not Aguero who has come to this decision. He did uh, you know, favour staying. But City made a decision that you know, with his fitness, his age, they decided it was time to move on. Um, it's probably the right decision for them. I mean, he he would probably want a three-year contract at his age with the injury problems, the chronic knee issue that he seems to have. It makes sense for them to move on. Uh, Harry Kane and Erling Haaland seem to be the two early names out there. I don't think they get either. I don't think they'll pay for either. People seem to forget City don't really spend massive money on one player 
they'd rather spend big money on three players than huge money on one because they think that gives them a better chance of the signing succeeding. So I don't think they sign either Hall. I mean, they could sign Haaland next summer when he has the buyout. I don't think they go from this summer. I don't see them wanting any part of Harry Kane. Lukaku maybe, but that's because Inter may sell below value because of their financial situation. But um, I don't see that Lukaku or, or or Kane, or sorry, Haaland or Kane, end up there next season. The, the Athletic have run a survey um, polling fan opinions on certain things, best run, worst of transfers, managers, futures, etc. I thought the answers were quite interesting in a number of ways. So the first question was, happiness with club's performance this season. So out of 100% of fans polled for each club, 94.3% of Man City fans are happy with their performance this season. I'd really like to meet the 5.7% that aren't and ask them what's wrong with them. But this one's worse. West Ham, 93%. If you're one of the 7% of West Ham fans who are not happy with the club's performances this season, what is wrong with you? Seriously. Your club have massively overperformed. Massively overperformed. Um, Leicester, 926 then there's quite a plummet. Aston Villa, 83.46. Then Everton, 76. Chelsea, 73. Obviously, the Lampard era is what held them back. So that's all fine. To look at the bottom, Newcastle, only 20% of their fans are happy. Sorry, 27% of their fans are happy with their performances. I would again ask that 27%. What's wrong with you? How can you be happy with this? How can you be happy with this? Sheffield United, 32.2. West Brom, 34.6. Now, both of those clubs, I think, you know, have an acceptance that they're going to be yo-yo clubs, that even to be in the Premier League is just is a big achievement for them. So I, I don't think much issue with that. But, you know, Newcastle fans, what is wrong with you? That should be 0%. Nobody should be happy with how Newcastle have performed this year. Um. Spurs on 41%, Liverpool on 46%. Those are both understandable. But, you know, that's not much to do with the manager for Liverpool. For Tottenham, I think it is. But for Liverpool, it's just, you know, the injuries, etc. Um, the next question is, would you be happy if, this, if the team's manager is in charge this time next year? So 98.67% of Everton fans said yes. 98.42% of Liverpool fans said yes. Uh, Leeds are over 98%. City over 97 Leicester over 96 Burnley over 94 Almost 95 for Burnley. West Ham only 83%. And I thought, again, I thought that was interesting. I mean, who who do you want in charge? I mean, I, I had Moyes doubts, but I mean, how can you argue with the success? Arsenal, on the other hand, 87.59, nearly 88% of their fans are happy with Arteta. So more Arsenal fans are happy with the job Arteta's doing than the job Moyes is doing. But that's bizarre to me. Newcastle bottom again, 25%. Again, I would ask them, you know, is this some sort of sadist thing? You know, is it like a fetish that you have that you enjoy pain and suffering? Uh, Sheffield United... 51%. They don't have a manager, so maybe they're happy to carry on. Uh, Crystal Palace, 49%. West Brom, 46 Spurs, 45 
if the fans are not happy with, with Jose, I don't know if Jose will be the manager of Tottenham next year. I, I think it, it could well be coming to an abrupt end. Um, do you think your team has a chance of winning a trophy by the end of next season? So 99% of Man City fans said yes. 93% of Chelsea fans. Only 86% of, of Liverpool fans, which I found interesting. Yet 81% of Leicester fans think they could win a trophy by the end of the next year. Um, 81% of Manchester United fans, I think, living in, in delusional hope. Uh, you could win the Europa League, you never know. Um, Newcastle again, bottom 23%. Fulham, Crystal Palace, both around 31%. So, you know, I... I I'm surprised Everton are so low. Only 43.5% of their fans think they could win a trophy uh, by the end of next season. I would have thought Everton will focus on a cup run next season, try and get some silverware in the cabinet. Um, here's here's a, an important one. Do you believe your club is well run? So Leicester topped that 98.6%. I think absolutely one of the best run clubs in the Premier League. Then it's Leeds... 98%, Man City 98%, Brighton 97.4, Aston Villa 95.5. Big drop then to Liverpool 87.7. I don't know how anybody could suggest Liverpool are not well run. I really don't know anyone how they could suggest Liverpool are not well run. Liverpool are as well run as any club in Europe. Burnley then on 75.29. Burnley are probably the best-run club in the Premier League. Now, the new ownership is different, obviously. But you look back over the last four years, Burnley have been the best-run club in the league. Um, Chelsea, 83.47% of the fans think the club is well-run. I would point to the $1.2 billion in debt that you have uh, and suggest that, not really. Um, you're running on smoke, smoke and mirrors. It's, it's all an illusion for you, really. If he decides to call in that loan and go, Chelsea are in major trouble. Because here's the thing. He could forgive the debt, but that seems unlikely. He, he, he could sell the club. He'll probably want, what, a billion? A billion and a half? So who's going to pay a billion and a half for the club and then a billion and a half to pay back the debt? Because no one's going to take on the debt and then want to pay it back that way. I don't think Chelsea are particularly good run, a particularly well-run club, being, being completely honest. Uh, 71% think Arsenal are well-run. They almost don't care about them. That's a strange one to me. I don't know why Arsenal fans would think that they're a well-run club. 52% think Manchester United are well-run. As a business, they're well-run. As a football club, they're obviously not. Uh, West Ham, 41 West Brom, 43. I'm a little bit surprised by that, but I have seen a number of West Brom fans who are not too impressed uh, with their with their club. Newcastle again, 23.9. And again, I, this has to be the same group of people that are just saying yes to everything. Has to be. Um, do you believe your club has spent well on transfers in the past 12 months? Aston Villa top 95%. Man City and Leicester both 90. Leeds just under 90. I question Leeds, to be fair. 
West Ham 88, they've spent very, very well. Uh, Everton 85. Liverpool 65. I don't know what's wrong with people. Um, Burnley 34, they haven't spent any money. The only signing was Dale Stevens. Uh, West Brom 38. And Sheffield United, Sheffield United 42. What 42% of people think that Ramsdale and Brewster have been, you know, has been money well spent? Um, and this is the last one then. Do you think your team plays entertaining football? Leeds and Man City are top, then Brighton, then Leicester, then Liverpool, then Fulham, then Villa, Chelsea, Arsenal, Southampton, Manchester United. 69% of people think United play good football. Not sure. Not sure I can agree with that. West Ham. 62% of Burnley fans think they play entertaining football. 62% think they play entertaining football. That is that is fantastic. Um, the bottom three, the bottom four are not surprising. Uh, Newcastle, obviously, bottom 21%. Again, it's the same group of people. Crystal Palace, 39%. West Brom, 43%. Uh, the Dinosaurs, all in line. And then you've got Mourinho on 50, or Spurs on 50. Um, and then Wolves on 56. And I, I think Wolves are one of the more boring teams in the league, given the talent they have. But it's, it's no surprise to see those three at the bottom. Um, I, I just I love the fact that 62% of Burnley fans think, yep, this is, this is entertaining stuff. I like Dice. I, I love Dice. I just, I don't think you can argue that it's entertaining football. It's it's better than people make out. It's not, it's not big Sam or Hodgie stuff, but it's it entertaining is is a big stretch. Um. So yeah, I I thought that was quite good. Um. Apparently, the Champions League reform, which was to expand it and then go to the Swiss style league where everybody's in kind of one group table, and you play. A series of ten games. Um, as it's the Swiss style, or, or it seems like a nonsense now, but you know it is what it is. But apparently, there is a row between Europe's top clubs and UEFA over who should control the competition competition's commercial rights. Uh, obviously, UEFA think it should be them. The clubs think it should be them because they're the ones that actually bring the interest. So we'll have to wait and see how that gets resolved. There's going to be some meetings apparently over the next few weeks uh, with regard, the next one is the 19th of April with regards to, you know, plans for that and, and other things, the finalisation of the Europa Conference League and whatever that's going to be. Um, Robert Lewandowski has been ruled out for four weeks. That means he will miss the Champions League quarterfinal games against Paris Saint-Germain. It's a big, big blow for Bayern. And a big blow for him as well because he was he was having an incredible season and, um, yeah, PSG will be very, very happy with that news. Uh, Chelsea's Champions League quarterfinals will both be played, uh, the both, both legs will be played in Sevilla at the Sanchez-Pizuan Stadium uh, on the 7th and 13th. Um, Portugal is obviously red-listed for travel from the UK. So, off to... to Sevilla, they go. It's a great stadium, um, but obviously it's going to be empty, so it doesn't really make much of a difference. Five Rangers players were handed a six-game ban by the Scottish Football Association for attending a party that broke national COVID lockdown rules. 
Zunga, Patterson, Bassey, Mabuede and Kinnear all cited after party was broken up by police in February. They should have just taken the league title off them. I think the only fair thing would be to give that title to Celtic. And I say that with no bias at all. Um, Rebecca Welch is set to become the first female referee appointed to an EFL match. She will officiate Harrogate against Port Vale on Easter Monday. So massive congratulations to her. That is absolutely huge. The big, big step forward. Obviously, we've seen people like uh, Sean Massialis or Shan Massialis. I, I don't really know how she pronounced her name, but she's been she's she's the best referee's assistant in the Premier League. It's not close. She is the best. So it's proven that women can officiate at the highest level. It'll be really interesting to see how Rebecca Welsh gets on. Uh, but massive congratulations to her. Um, you know, it's it's a great achievement. Um, finally, then from the news side of things, A.D. Boothroyd believes it is not possible to succeed in the role as England under twenty one manager, as his side face a second successive group stage exit from the European Championships. He says the men's the England senior men's job was called the impossible job. But it's the under-21 job that's actually the impossible job. Now, I'm not being funny. He's just an awful manager. Part of the reason we haven't won this for 37 years is to get players to the first team. Oh, is that the role of doing the 21s is, that, is to get players to the first team. I think he's talking absolute rubbish. Personally. I look at that England under 21 team and I don't understand how you're not one of the very, very best out there. The The talent level is ridiculous. Like, just have a look at the squad for these Euros, right? Ramsdale, I'm not, I'm not keen on, but Joseph Bursic of Stoke, I really do like. Max Ahrens is quality. Ben Godfrey is quality. Mark Weehy is quality. Lloyd Kelly is quality. Ryan Sessegnon, Jaffa Tanganga, they're all Premier League caliber players. Now, Guihi's playing, obviously, with, with Swansea, but he is a Premier League caliber defender. Ben Wilmot is a solid citizen, good defender. Uh, he wouldn't be for me in this squad. And I'm not sure on Stephen Sessegnon. He's on loan at the moment at Bristol. I know he's come on quite a bit in the last 12 months or so, but I'm not sure he'd be for me. But that's still largely a Premier League group of defenders. The midfield group is the same thing. Um, Todd Cantwell proven himself in the Premier League Tom Davies, Eberichi Ezzi Conor Gallagher Curtis Jones, Dwight McNeil Oliver Skip is on loan at Norwich from Spurs but the rest have all proven themselves in the Premier League and then up front, I mean Greenwood got hurt, that was unfortunate um, Hudson Adoy Mudiecki Enketia, Smith Rowe and Brewster, I mean how is that squad it just, it's baffling to me that that's not that they're not doing much much better you know he left out some players that I think should have gotten um should have gotten a call up obviously there were some injuries the likes of Tariq Lamptey James Justin probably would have been in the squad um but I, I would have liked seeing Brandon Williams brought um obviously Jude Bellingham and Baki Osako Baki Osaka 
and Rhys James are all with the senior team, as is Phil Foden. And, and that's a little bit unfortunate. But, I mean, graded Ian Garner could have played. Joe Willock could have played. These are players playing in the Premier League on a regular basis. Um, I, I don't think there's an excuse. I'm sorry. I really don't think there's an excuse for England not to be, not necessarily winning it, but doing better than you have. I mean, to lose both of your opening games is is a little bit embarrassing. And, I mean, their final game, which, you know, may, may become meaningless, is against Croatia. Croatia have a plus, sorry, have, have, a, have, a, have a zero goal differential. England's is minus three. So if England win 1-0, uh, Croatia would still have a better goal differential than them and would go through ahead of them. Portugal plays Switzerland in the other game. Both of them teams have beaten England. Portugal also beat Croatia. Um, Croatia then beat Switzerland. So it, it's a tight group. It is a tough group. But I just can't see how England aren't the match of all of these teams. If you go through the squads of those other teams, they're, they're not as strong as England. They're just not. They've been a little bit unfortunate in certain injuries. A little bit unfortunate that, that Southgate chose to pick certain players into the senior squad. But there's no excuse. Absolutely no excuse. A.D. Boothroyd just isn't a good manager. He's just not good enough to manage that important of a team. And unless England make a change, it's going to continue to be the same thing. And the problem is you get all these players, they, they make their way into the senior team. They've never won anything. Now, you have a group that won the under-17s a couple of years ago. Uh, was it the under-19s? I think it was the under Did they win both? They might have won both. But those players need to continually be winning things. So if they'd gone into this under-21 team and won this competition, then they'd step into the senior team as much more confident players. But, you know, England do weird things. Really, really weird things. And, and this having AD Boothroyd in charge is just really, really weird. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're picking some teams again because we had a question last week and we're going to answer it. See you in a few. Right, I am back. Uh, this is a question that came in from Isaac Gilding last week on Thursday to pick my all-time 11 from Europe, South America, and Africa, and who would win if they played each other. So, again, I've gone just with players that I've seen. I'm going to run through these. Starting in goal, I've gone with Bruce Grobelar. It is a bit of a homer pick because he's ex-Liverpool. But, you know, 30-plus caps for Zimbabwe, 32 caps. Uh, six league titles for Liverpool, three FA Cups, three League Cups, and a European Cup. I think he played at a higher level than any other African goalkeeper, so that's why I've gone with him. I've got Loren at, at right back, um, former Arsenal, part of the Invincibles, just a really solid player. Uh, was a little bit short of defensive options for Africa. Um, Wael Goma, the Egyptian international, former Egyptian international, um, long-time stalwart for Al-Ali. He's one of my two centre-backs, seven league, eight league titles, five, six Africa, African Champions Leagues, uh, and a really good player for, for Egypt, 103 caps. So he, he's one. Sami Kufour is the other. Um, loved him at Bayern Munich, absolutely loved him at Bayern Munich. 
So he was uh, he was a no-brainer pick. I I did plan to keep this to players that were retired and not current players, but I couldn't think of an African left back that I really liked. So I've gone with Quadwo Asamoah, who's currently a Cagliari. Now he is way past his best, so I'm going to count him as semi-retired. Uh, he'd be my left back. The Ghanaian played for Juventus was brilliant. Played for Inter for a little while was was decent for them, but it was at Juventus under Conte. Uh, him and Lichtsteiner were the two wide pieces when they had that kind of Pirlo behind Marquisio and Vidal, and then Pogba and Vidal midfield. So he was great for them. He he gets in my team as my left back. Uh, I've gone for a three man midfield. I've gone for Yaya Toure. Self explanatory, great player. Michael Essien. A uh, player I absolutely adored. Devastated when he went to Chelsea from, from uh, Lyon. Was just incredible for Chelsea, though. One of, one of the best midfielders the Premier League has seen. And then JJ Acoccia, who I think might be one of the most entertaining players I've ever seen. Um, been around, you know. Eintracht Frankfurt, Fenerbahce, Paris Saint-Germain, Bolton Wanderers, uh, Qatar, and then Hull. Um, when he signed for Bolton, I remember being absolutely stunned because I'd watched him at PSG and Fenerbahce and for Nigeria and just thought this is this kid's a genius or this guy's a genius with a ball. Um so for him to sign for Bolton, you know, at the time they had like him and Jorkayev and Fernando Hierro and Ivan Campo and players like that. It was just it was great to see him in the Premier League. And then up front I've gone George Weah, who I think is the greatest African player of all time. He was the best player in the world for a season. He was World Player of the Year. For me, the debate starts and ends there. No other African player has reached that. Uh, Didier Drogba. Again, self-explanatory. What what a career he had. And then Samuel Eto'o, who, again, you can't really argue. The career spoke for itself. Um, sensational for, for Cameroon, for Barcelona, for Inter Milan. Became a bit of a journeyman, but you know, he, he lived his life. He had a great career. Um, so Samuel Eto'o. So that, that's my African team. Um, love the midfield. The strike force is a bit of a weird fit, obviously. The defense I wouldn't be overly keen on. But it got me thinking, that team was quite easy to pick because there's there hasn't been a lot of standout African players in Europe over the years. There's been, you know... There's been obviously great ones, but there's never been this a massive onslaught of them. Whereas now you look at the great young African players around Europe, and then you look at kind of the African heritage players playing for for England, for France, a couple now for Spain, a couple for Ger- for Germany, and you really do get a sense of just the growth of football in Africa and the development of of this talent that previously had been largely untapped. You go back pre-1990, like Cameroon at the World Cup was sort of the first big explosion of African football. Then 20 years later, the World Cup is in Africa. That period of time was really the the early days of African football coming a little bit more to the forefront in in Europe and especially, you know, in England. Um, but now I just think the, the floodgates are open and, and the amount of talent is is staggering. And look, it reflects the size of Africa. I mean, it's a gargantuan 
continent. The population of Africa is incredible. So it makes sense that there is an incredible amount of talent there. And when you see, you know, academies like Right to Dream and others setting up in Africa and, and giving young players an opportunity that they previously wouldn't have had. And we've seen national teams like Cameroons, Senegal, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, Ghana, South Africa. We've seen them develop. We've seen the North Africans, Tunisia, Morocco, uh, Egypt. We've seen them all come on. But I really think over the next 20 years, we're going to see African football really rise to the very elite level. And for me right now, I think as a continent on the whole, after Europe, Africa is probably producing the most high-level prospects. Brazil obviously still churns out an awful lot of high-level prospects. Argentina less so in recent years. You know, and all the rest of sort of, there's a couple that come along each couple of years and you think, okay, he's going to be really good. But with Africa, whatever country you look at, there just seems to be a procession, be it Mali, be it Guinea, Senegal, you know, and, and the bigger countries like Cameroon, Nigeria, Egypt. There just does seem to be an immense amount of talent flooding into Europe. And it, it's brilliant. It's raising the level of the game. You're getting that African flair. And when they come to Europe that bit earlier, see, one of the issues always was that the African players, a lot of them would have great great flair on the ball, but maybe lack in terms of fundamentals. With these academies like Right to Dream and, and others, they're getting coached in the fundamentals as well. And you see some of them, like a lot of them come through the Red Bull system. And they're fundamentally flawless. Fundamentally, these kids are brilliant. And then you add that natural talent and flair on top of that. It's a recipe for success. It really is a recipe for success. And I, I do think in 20 years' time, we're going to be looking at African football right up there, seen as just on the same level in terms of player production and national teams as South America and, and, and Europe. There'll always be exceptions. There'll always be your Argentina, your Brazil, your France, your Germany, your Spain, your Italy, your England. They'll always be for historical reasons, seen as a little bit above. England don't really have any right to be in that. But again, England are benefiting massively from the African dysphoria. Like all the Africans that moved to England in the 90s and then had kids in the late 90s and early 2000s, well, all those kids are now grown up uh, and becoming professionals. And again, look at the England squad. I mean, look at the heritage of the players in the England squad. Um, there's There's quite a lot of... Uh, you know, that Africa is responsible for, be it Nigeria or, you know, wherever. Um, I mean, the Nigerian dysphoria is amazing. And if you look at some of the players that are eligible for them, it is ridiculous. The team they could put together. I mean, their own team at the moment is is scary good. But the, the players that are eligible to play for Nigeria would, would give them an, an immense team. And... The day an African country wins the World Cup, I think is going to be. I think that's a that's a party for everybody to be involved in because 
it will be the that'll be the end of a of a journey that started in ninety with Cameroon, then Nigeria in ninety four, Senegal in ninety eight. You know, two thousand two less so, but then two thousand and ten, obviously with the with the World Cup being there, it's just been this kind of continual growth. And it is, it's brilliant. And all these players coming through and finding their paths to Europe. And like, finding their paths to Europe in the most bizarre places. Like, you watch a game in the Czech Republic and there's a couple of young African players. Game in Lithuania, there's a couple of young African players. Uh, Denmark, obviously, Nordelsjan, they they own the right to draw. They're owned by the Right to Dream Academy. Uh, They are obviously, they've, they've got African players coming through nonstop. And then they sell them on into into mainland Europe, and then from there it's, you know, the, the players can go anywhere they want. Um, but yeah, if you look at the the level of talent, and I think like Pat Zendaka from like Zambia, you know, like um, isn't Silas? Isn't he from like Congo or somewhere? Congolese. So it's every country in Africa producing you know, a couple of really good, talented players where beforehand they may have done, but we never heard about them. Now they're getting the opportunity on the biggest stages and that's only going to benefit the European game and the African game. So it's great. I've gone on a tangent here and I apologize. Um, My South American team is extremely biased towards Argentina and Brazil. And by that, I mean, it's all Argentinian and Brazilian players. Uh, so I've I've forgotten. I know I've forgotten somebody. There's somebody that I've that I would want in this team that I've forgotten. So apologies. So I've got Sergio Goicochea in goal, uh, purely based on the 1990 World Cup. I've got Javier Zanetti at right back, obvious reasons. Roberto Carlos at left back, again obvious reasons. Al Dyer, uh, the the legend of Roma, uh, is one of my centre backs. He was just a brilliant, brilliant centre back. A brilliant centre-back. So he's absolutely in. Walter Samuel in next to him. I loved him for Roma uh, and then for Inter later on in his career. He was just a great player. Um, The midfield too was tough because there's a bunch of players I would have liked to put in, but Fernando Redondo was, I mean, it's me, so he had had to be in. Um, Next to him, I've gone for Juan Sebastian Veron. I know he didn't do too great when he came to England, but yeah. Sampdoria, Parma and Lazio, he was ridiculously good. Ridiculously good. And then obviously he went home to Argentina and led uh, Studientes to the um, Copa Libertadores. So, you know, you can't you can't not love that guy. Great, great player. Um, I've gone for a boxy kind of midfield here. So I've got Maradona, obviously. I mean, there's, there's just no question. And then I've got Kaka. Um who I just AC Milan era Kaka the first time around, not the second time around, the first time around was just incredible. And for the last couple of years he was there, I think he was the best player in the world. Um, didn't really work at Real for him. He had a couple of couple of thigh injuries that really slowed him down, but he was just ridiculously good, so so good. Um. Up front, I've gone with the with the the Ronnies. I've gone with Ronaldinho and the real Ronaldo. Um, Ornine was the best striker I've ever seen. 
he had everything, absolutely everything. If if he didn't have the knees that he did, I don't think people would consider Messi as the greatest player of the generation of the last 50 years or whatever they want to consider him. I think it would be him. And Ronaldinho is just, he's the most entertaining person, uh, entertaining player of all time. Him and JJ Acocha are the two that you would just pay any amount of money to, to, to watch. And remember, they were together at PSG for a year, uh, 0102. Just imagine how much fun that was to watch on a regular basis. So, yeah, that is my, um, that is my South American team. Is he out of prison yet? He is, isn't he? Yeah, he spent months in prison last year. Um, four months in prison for traveling with a fake passport. Why does he need a fake passport? Like, in what world does... In July 2019, 57 properties belonging to Ronaldinho, along with his Brazilian and Spanish passports, were confiscated because of unpaid taxes and fines. Uh, the judge ultimately decided to reduce the fine to 6 million Brazilian dollars from 8.5 million for building a fishing platform. What? Madness. I'm not even going to bother. Madness. Um, at least he's, he's, he just seems to have some some troubles. But, you know, that's just what him and, and the real Ronnie did. They They lived life to the full and it affected their careers. Um, I did say I was going to try and keep this to players who were retired, but I had to cheat a little bit for the European one as well because I wanted Gigi Buffon because he's my favorite goalkeeper of all time. And I think he's the best goalkeeper we've ever seen. So, uh, yeah, I've got him. I've got Lillian Turam at right back, Alessandro Nest at centre back, Baresi next to him, Maldini at left back. I've gone for Lothar Mateus. In central midfield, next to Roy Keane. Roy Keane, I always pick. Uh, but Mateus was just a different class of player. Could play anywhere. Sweeper, central midfield, defensive midfield, box to box. Could play him as a ten if you needed them to. Um, Maradona said he is the best player he's ever played against, um, and that that kind of speaks volumes. Um, yeah, ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Ego, ego, the size of. Africa, but ridiculously good player. Roy Keane is Roy Keane. He he just always gets in my team. Um, I, I'm just never not going to pick Roy Keane. Uh, and then I've got, again, I've gone with kind of a, a boxy midfield. So I've got Michael Laudrup, who's my favourite player of all time, and Zinedine Zidane, who, you know, again, self-explanatory. And then we've got Roberto Baggio, who just, again, so much fun to watch, an incredible player. One of my personal favorites. So I'd always have him uh, in any team I pick because watching him play for for Fiorentina, for Juve, the Italian national team, less so for AC Milan, less so for Inter Milan, but Bologna and then Brescia at the end of his career, he was just a a beautiful footballer to watch. Um, and then Marco van Basten, who I only really caught the end of. I was very young, but. He just seemed to have everything as a number nine. Grace, elegance, could score any type of goal, good pace, really, really well-rounded, close control, 
was sensational. His volleys, his ability to leap and, and twist his body was incredible. So, yeah, um, Marco van Basten would be, would be the 11th. In terms of who would win if they played each other, as, as I was saying about the African team, I think the African team is the weakest of the three. I think it's, I, I think it's quite substantially the weakest of the three. Um, I think the European team would beat the South American team, if I'm honest. I think the European team would beat the South American team. I think it would be close. But I think the Euro the Euros would win. Um, I I did try and put together um, an Asian eleven to try and have a fourth, and uh, and realised that outside of you know a bunch of Japanese players, don't really know much about them. So, so um, yeah, there's no Asian eleven, unfortunately. Um, I'm going to finish up with the gossip, and then we will get out of here. So. Tottenham striker Harry Kane will be targeted by Manchester City if they fail to sign Erling Haaland. Uh, they will also look to sign Romelu Lukaku if they fail to sign either. Uh, Lukaku is the one of the three that I think is the most likely if they do go with that kind of big budget signing. Uh, City are confident of signing Norwegian international Haaland. That's the Manchester Evening News. I mean, you take anything from Reach PLC with a bag full of salt. Um, Aston Villa captain Jack Grealish could miss out on a move to Pep Guardiola's side with City put off by a £100 million valuation. I would also imagine they're put off by the fact that he doesn't get in their team. Uh, Manchester United have made an offer for Aguero. Um, no, they haven't. They just haven't. It's nonsense. They haven't. United haven't made an offer for Nonsense. Uh, Barcelona, who are seen as favourites to land Aguero, do not see him as a priority signing and rate Memphis Depay, Erling Haaland and Lukaku as younger, better options. They are all younger. They are all better. They're Other than Depay, they're not realistic for Barca at this point. Uh, Lionel Messi has told Barcelona to sign Aguero with his fellow Argentine being a key demand in his own negotiations. This is what I was saying yesterday, and I believe it to be true. Uh, Ibrahim Kanate has already passed some of his medical tests before a potential move to Liverpool. I'd imagine they're doing in-depth uh, looking at that hip and making sure it is up to up to code um, because that's the big worry with him. Uh, Mo Salah says he will possibly play. It says it's possible he will play in Spain in the future. This is regurgitation and nonsense from yesterday. Leeds United's record signing, Rodrigo, is unhappy at Ellen Road and keen to return to La Liga in a bid to re-establish himself in the Spain squad. Both Real Betis and Sevilla have been linked. Uh, that's from some no-mark Spanish outlet. I don't think it's true. He seems quite happy. Um, he's played in England before, so I don't think it's an issue. Uh, he's not in the Spanish squad because he's been injured. It's got nothing to do with the fact he's playing for Leeds. Um Argentine midfielder Rodrigo de Paul continues to favour a move to Leeds if he leaves Udinese. Well, he, he should leave Udinese if he's any ambition about himself because they are trash. So he needs to get himself as far away from Udinese as possible. World Cup winner Kylian Mbappe has told French selectors he will not be available to play at this summer's Olympics uh, because he wants to focus on his future. He's already going to be playing at the Euros. It'd be a bit much to ask him to play at the Olympics, to be fair. Um, Burnley will turn to uh, Chris Wilder if Sean Dyche decides to leave Turf Moor this summer. Dyche is a target uh, allegedly for Crystal Palace and Newcastle. Um, Chris Wilder would be a weird fit with that group of players. 
I don't see many that would really fit how Wilder likes to play. A couple, but not many. Um, Crystal Palace, West Ham and Wolves are all monitoring Stoke and Australia defender Harry Suter. He is, of course, Scottish. His brother plays for Scotland, but he decided to play for Australia, which is the birthplace of his mother. He is a good young defender, and I think he'd be best off staying at Stoke for another year anyway. Sassuolo and Italy midfielder Manuel Locatelli is expected to join Juventus next season. For me, Juve don't need an addition in midfield, but if they're going to make one, he is as about as good as they will get. Manchester United, Chelsea and Paris Saint-Germain remain in the race to sign Eduardo Camavinga with the France under-21 international hesitant about a move to Real Madrid if Zidane does not remain in charge. Well, first things first, he's also a senior international, so let's call him a French international, not another 21 national. Um, I, I never really understand these type of s- stories because in all likelihood, Zidane is going to leave at some point anyway. So he'd have to play there under a different manager regardless. Uh, he should join Liverpool, though. It would be the best move for him. Um, Arsenal, Leicester and Strasbourg are interested in French defender Ishmael Ducouré. He is from the same club that produced Upa Meccano. Uh, don't know much about him, but he is quite highly rated. Christian Benteke is interesting. Turkish sides Galatasaray and Besiktas. Uh, as he nears the end of his contract at Sellers Park. Yeah, Palace should wave goodbye and send him on his merry way to Turkey. I think he'll do well in Turkey. Sheffield United's Malian midfielder Ishmael Koulibaly has impressed on loan at Belgian side Bershot and may be sold before he ever appears for the Blades. That would be a bit silly, really. You know, if he did well in the Premier League, it would boost his value far more than a spell in Belgium will. Um, Juventus will look to fund a move for Leon midfielder Hossam Awar by offloading Adrian Rabiot and Aaron Ramsey. Nobody's going to take Ramsey off them. Ramsey earns 400 grand a week and is bang average. Has always largely been bang average. Had one good season, but it wasn't worth a fraction of the money they gave him. Uh, nobody's going to pay them money for him. They're going to have to loan him out and probably pay about three quarters of his wages. They have themselves an Alexis Sanchez situation. Simple as. Rabio that have no problem finding a home for. Uh, Newcastle's Japanese striker uh, Yoshimutu wants to join loan club Ibar on a permanent deal. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He, he's never going to get any game time at Newcastle. He hasn't settled in England. He hasn't done well in the Premier League. But he is a decent player, and I, I'm sure Ibar will be happy to keep him. Egypt international midfielder Mohamed Elneny wants to renew his contract at Arsenal rather than pursue offers from clubs in Turkey. Um, considering like he was on the very, very outs of things at Arsenal at the start of the season and how far he's come back into the picture, it's understandable. But I still think Arsenal should be moving him on. Peterborough United have set a price tag of at least £5 million on League One leading scorer Johnson Clark-Harris who has been linked with Bournemouth and Sheffield United. He is having a fantastic season. He was there before. Came through the Coventry ranks. Uh, he's bounced around a little bit. He's played for a lot of clubs. But he's at Peterborough, Peterborough before. He was at Bristol Rovers the last couple of years and had done very well. They bought him in, uh, Peterborough did, to replace Ivan Tony, who obviously went to Brentford. He's got about 26 goals this season, I think. He's He's 
scored more goals than any of any of Tony's seasons there, which is super impressive. So I'd imagine it'll be at least five. I think you'll probably be talking close to ten. Uh, is what they'll ask for him, and I think they'll get it as well. Everton's promising 19-year-old midfielder Reese Hughes could leave on loan for championship side after progressing. Well, he is quite highly rated. A loan to the championship makes sense. Derby, potentially, there's you know some young young players there. He'd fit into that group, and obviously there's the Rooney connection. Preston North End and Derby County are interested in Luton Town striker James Collins with the Irish international also in demand in the United States. Uh, if I was him, I would I would stay in England. Um, I think it makes more sense for him at this point in his career. Though, if the big money comes from America, if he's getting more, you know, take, that, take whatever the biggest offer is. Whoever offers the biggest bag of cash, take that and be done. And speaking of done, we are done for today. Thank you, as always. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.